Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Morrissey Movement. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss and share one aspect of fitness and one aspect of medicine. Being a general surgeon and a garage gym athlete, I have a strong passion for both of these aspects of life. So sit back and enjoy the show. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. I am in no way forming a patient-doctor relationship. While the aspects discussed in this podcast are medically accurate, you should always discuss with your doctor any questions that you may have about the content. You should always discuss with your doctor before starting any new exercise or dietary changes. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Dr. Chris Morrissey here with another episode of the Morrissey Movement. For those of you that listen, thank you so much. Feel free to leave any type of feedback that you feel is necessary. So this is episode two. So today I decided to discuss a few different topics. The medical topic for the day is actually going to be the differences in physicians, meaning MD versus DO. Um, Me being an osteopathic physician or a DO, I've been asked that throughout my career as far as what are the main differences. So I thought I'd spend some time kind of discussing this and maybe giving some light on the subject for people that don't know. Um, And then the fitness aspect I'm going to talk about is what's called DOMS or delayed onset muscle soreness because there's a lot of controversy of what this actually is. So I felt I would talk about these two things today. All right, so let's get started. So as far as talking about MD versus DO, Um, So an MD or a doctor of medicine or an allopathic physician versus a DO, which is a doctor of osteopathy or osteopathic physician. So as far as an allopathic physician goes, the the word allopathic comes from the Greek allos, meaning opposite, and pathos, meaning to suffer. So the phrase um, of allopathic was coined by the German physician Samuel Hahnemann, which I may have not said that correctly, back in the 1800s, um, is roughly refers to treating a symptom with its opposite. So an example would be if you're constipated, you would give someone the laxative. So you're kind of doing the opposite of what it would be. So if you have hypertension or high blood pressure, you're going to give a medicine that will make your blood pressure go down or an antihypertensive. So that is the kind of the rough definition of allopathic. Osteopathic actually is a branch of medical practice that emphasizes the treatment of medical disorders through the manipulation and massage of bones, joints, and muscles. So in general terms, allopathic physicians are thought to have focused on treatment of disease, whereas osteopathy traditionally refers to treating the patient and not the disease. So where did osteopathic medicine come from? Uh, there was a Dr. Andrew Taylor still who actually was an MD um, back in the late 1800s. He was the very first osteopathic physician in the United States. Uh, He had lost a few of his children to disease, one with pneumonia and one from like cholera or dysentery or something like that. And he just felt that modern medicine was failing. So he actually took about an eight to 10 year sabbatical um, for medicine and studied the human body more intensively on an Indian reservation. So throughout his studies, he discovered that the spinal cord was more intimately related to the organs than previous previously thought. So he came up with the idea of manipulating the spine in order to alleviate pain and some diseases. Thus, osteopathy was born. The first DO school was actually opened in Kirksville, Missouri, uh, which is actually a fairly small town. Um, I think today they may have a Walmart and a few other things and then a medical school. Uh, So he actually migrated there from Baldwin, Kansas. So you can actually say that uh, osteopathic medicine was created in Kansas. As far as schoolings go, there are approximately 155 accredited 
MD schools in the United States currently versus 37 accredited DO schools across the country. Both uh, DO and MDs, you have to have an undergraduate degree for the most part. There's a few early decision um, programs, but for the most part, you have to have some sort of undergrad degree. Uh, and actually, this can be in anything. It's a common misconception that all physicians have to be biology or chemistry majors. Um, you know, what I recommend to people is do something you love. So if you love music and you want to get a music major, you just have to take the prerequisite courses um, to get into medical school. But you do not have to be a science um, bachelor's to get into medical school. So then once you go through medical school, you do typically four years of that. And then you move on to residency uh, anywhere between three to eight years, depending on your area of focus. So during medical school, DOs actually learn OMM or osteopathic manipulative medicine or OMT, which is osteopathic manipulative therapy. Um, you learn it for the first two years of medical school. Uh, so we typically begin by focusing on physical assessment, learning how to assess the spine, searching for any type of dysfunctions or differences in the tissue as we feel under our hands. Uh, we then learn how to attempt to correct any of these dysfunctions through a variety of ways, including myofascial release, which is basically firm pressure on different areas to try to get the tissues to relax. There's trigger point type therapy. There's a therapy called muscle energy, which is actually like a resistive type treatment. Um, and there is also the ever popular HVLA or, you know, the cracking backs and necks, which you kind of, most people have at least heard of or seen that before. Um, so anyway, after the first two years of classroom work, then we all go to rotations for our third and fourth year, uh, going through different areas of specialties. So typically, most of the time, you have two months of internal medicine, two months of family medicine, two months of surgery, two months of, um, or I'm sorry, one month of OBGYN, one month of pediatrics, one month of psych, and then some sort of elective. And then the fourth year is focused on your desired specialty. So about half of the fourth year is going to be in different programs trying to make a uh, good impression on places where you would like to train at a particular facility. Um, <clears throat> this is somewhat of a working job interview, so to speak. Once you have to decide what kind of field of medicine you go into, which can very, be very difficult at some times, um, then once you get this figured out, then you go through a process called the match. This is where you basically decide what program you want to train in, you know, in what certain city or state or hospital system. And then um, you basically make a list going from favorite to least favorite. And then the programs that you are choosing also do the exact same thing with his applicants and then it goes through some sort of random computer algorithm and then hopefully you get uh, what you're wanting to do. So this is a fairly stressful process because it's a lot of unknowns and you feel like you have really no control over where you're going to end up. Um, when you're looking at MDs versus DOs, they can be any type of physician. Uh, traditionally, back in the day, osteopathy was primarily focused on family practice. However, there are DOs in every single specialty in medicine. Me, myself, I'm a, you know, I'm a general surgeon, so this is obviously an issue or, an, uh, I mean, a... Um, a specialty selection, uh, but there's family medicine, there's GI, radiology, emergency room, ENT, uh, cardiothoracic surgeons, etc. I'm sure a lot of you have actually seen a DO in your lifetime and maybe you didn't realize this is what you had. Me growing up personally up in Northwest Kansas, all of our hometown physicians were DOs and I had no idea there was even a difference until I started really looking at applying to medical school. If I had to venture a guess, only about 10% 
or so of DOs actually perform the manipulation. Um, you know, some people just don't feel comfortable doing it. Um, I actually utilize this in my practice. I would say around 8 to 10% of my patients that I see is only for manipulation. So I thoroughly enjoy doing it, and I've helped a lot of people with it. There are so many forms and uses of manipulation. So if you're having certain ailments that aren't being addressed or improving, seeking out someone that does manual therapy may be a benefit from you. However, um, you know, it has its specific place in medicine. Can it cure cancer? Absolutely not. Um, it's just simply one tool in your bag that you can use to try to alleviate symptoms. There were times in history that DOs were actually viewed as inferior to MDs. Uh, this was kind of true mid-1900s or so. Uh, sometimes osteopaths are lumped into alternative medicine, holistic medicine, and so on. Uh, now there are so many different types of medicine um, that's warranted. So back in California, I know, for instance, uh, DOs were not recognized as physicians, so they could actually buy their MD license for some fee, like $500 or something, so they weren't even allowed to practice in the state of California. But today, most of the time, they're looked at as equals. In other parts of the world, they are not recognized as fully licensed physicians. In the UK, for example, DOs are viewed to the equivalent of chiropractors, which, you know, chiropractic medicine was developed separately from osteopathy. Um, our views and training um, compared to chiropractors are different as well as our approach to patient treatments. Sometimes I will use the term chiropractor just to make it easier for patients to understand what type of manipulation I'm going to be performing since most people are more familiar with chiropractors versus osteopaths. So that's kind of a brief rundown of the differences. Um, again, like I said, I'm sure you've seen both types of physicians in your lifetime. You just may not have realized that. So, so that is the medical component for today. And now I'm going to move on to the uh, fitness component, which is somewhat sort of overlap with medicine as well. So I'm going to talk about DOMS, which is delayed onset muscle soreness. Uh, so I have a few different reference uh, guidelines that I use off the internet. Um, the first one comes from Medicine Net. So basically, any exercise can cause delayed onset muscle soreness when you start a new routine or increase the intensity, but exercises that require the eccentric muscle contraction in particular are more likely to cause DOMS. So I'm going to refer to it as DOMS throughout the rest of this discussion since it's easier to say than delayed onset muscle soreness. Um, eccentric contraction of an exercise is basically the muscles... Um, slow load against gravity as the muscles being lengthened. So an example, a few examples of eccentric muscle contraction would be bicep curl, which most people can understand the visual visualization of that. So the, as you're bringing the bar from your hips up towards your shoulders, that is going to be the concentric or the shortening of the muscle. And then the eccentric portion is going to be lowering the weight slowly from the shoulders down back to the hips. Um, a few other examples is going to be downhill running because the quads are being forced to lengthen and brace against gravity. Downward motion in squats or the downward motion in push-ups. Um, also, if you're looking at doing a pull-up as you lower yourself back towards the floor, that is another example of eccentric. So like I said, concentric, on the other hand, is when you're shortening the muscle. Um, eccentric contraction is actually more of an efficient way than concentric contraction to exercise a muscle because it uses less energy to work harder. Um, 
Though beneficial, eccentric contraction is also more likely to produce DOMS because it places more stress on the muscle. So what exactly is this that I'm talking about? Delayed onset muscle soreness. So basically it is the muscle pain you feel after a workout. Um, it does not occur during the workout, but typically starts the day after, maybe a few days later, peaks after 24 to 72 hours and starts easing up after that. It can last up to five days and anything longer is not normal. What is the main cause? Uh, you know, it's usually a combination of microscopic tears in the muscle fibers that result from a workout and the muscle's response to repair the damage. Uh, so you get little tiny muscle tears when you stress your muscles more than they're used to or in a newer, different way. So if you have been primarily a runner or did a lot of circuit training and then you go to a bodybuilding style approach or even maybe CrossFit, um, your muscles are not used to reacting that way. Uh, the muscle tissue then releases enzymes to repair the tears in the tissue, which results in inflammation and soreness. Contrary to belief, uh, lactic acid buildup can cause pain during a workout, but this is not the source of DOMS. Lactic acid builds up when the muscle does not get enough oxygen to break it down, which causes cramping and muscle fatigue. The pain typically goes away within a few hours with rest and hydration, unlike DOMS, which can last much longer. Um, it can happen to anyone, regardless of fitness levels, when the muscles are challenged in a way they are not accustomed to. Even elite athletes can develop DOMS when they start training after a break or when they increase their training intensity. So I'll use myself as an example. I was doing on my garage gym athlete workout protocols, I was doing one that primarily focused on squats and running. It was called BCT. And um, we basically squatted three days a week and ran three days a week. And I was on this circuit for approximately six months. And then I decided to go a different route. So then I started going back to more of a concurrent training model, which was, well, the BCT was concurrent training also, but it was focusing mainly on lower body. Uh, so then I went back to a normal one. So I started doing quite a bit of pull-ups and I feel I got DOMS in my lat muscles because I hadn't been doing pull-ups for like six months. And then when I got back into these, um, I was sore for probably five to six days and it just hurt to do everything. So I'm sure some people can relate to what this feels like. Um, is DOMS a good sign? Muscle soreness is commonly equated with a good workout, but DOMS does not need to always be there to be a good sign. Soreness does indicate that the muscle has been worked, which encourages and motivates you to continue with the activity, but it also is important to be aware of that how much of soreness is beneficial. If it makes you too sore to carry on with your daily activities, it's probably a little bit too much. Muscle strength grows with exercise even if you do not feel soreness. So once you get accustomed to the work that you are doing, you may not be getting as sore as you used to before. Um, excessive or persistent soreness is detrimental to muscle recovery and can, in fact, be negative effects that you are looking for in exercise and may affect your athletic performance. If you ignore this, persistent soreness can also damage the capacity of the muscle to repair and grow stronger. Is it okay to work out through DOMS? Uh, yes, it is. Some soreness from DOMS is temporary and it's perfectly fine to work out through these as long as the ache is moderate in nature. Keeping those muscles active, in fact, is beneficial because it improves blood supply and speeds up healing. You can do gentle exercises like walking or swimming until the soreness subsides or rest for a day or so if the activity increases the pain. One of the things I'll typically do is, and I'll address this in a different podcast, but some zone two running, which is basically uh, there's five heart rate zones. Zone two is like, you know, you can keep a conversational pace. It's, you know, fairly low intense in nature, but it does help um, with blood flow and uh, can also, you know, build your cardiovascular base. But that'll be a separate podcast topic for in the future. How can you prevent DOMS? 
it may or may not be possible to prevent this, but you can reduce the severity by gradually increasing the intensity when you start a new exercise routine. Warming up before and cooling down and stretching after an intensive workout can greatly help in relaxing the muscles and reduce soreness. So the biggest thing I typically see is people go from being fairly sedentary in nature and all of a sudden, you know, they're on Instagram and they see, you know, Rich Froning's new workout or some sort of superstar CrossFit athlete that has been doing this for a long time and you just get this kind of all-in mentality and you go from not doing much to doing a whole lot and then you can barely walk for a week and then you kind of go back to the way you were because you did not like how that made you feel um so this is one common misconception or uh mistake people make when they go into training varying your daily routine by cross training with exercises that engage different groups of muscles may be another good way to handle doms um again it gives your muscles a chance to recover between workouts without really dis disrupting your training a few other aspects that is super important for this is eating a very nutritious diet that includes all groups of foods that help muscles heal. Also, adequate hydration with electrolytes before, during, and after a workout may help minimize this as well. So now what happens if you get this? So how do I treat this? DOMS usually does not require treatment. It typically goes away on its own. Again, the best thing for DOMS is to keep those muscles moving unless the pain is intolerable. Other things that can help reduce DOMS include gentle massage, um, which may help increase blood flow. You can use a foam roller that can help loosen up knotted muscles. Wearing compression clothing, which many athletes say improves blood flow and reduces pain, although there's really no conclusive evidence or studies for this that I've seen. Applying ice packs can numb the nerve endings to the muscle. They may help a little bit. Alternating between hot and cold showers. Topical application of pain relief balms like Icy Hot or Asper Cream or some sort of thing like that may be beneficial. Current research suggests non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or NSAIDs such as Aleve or Motrin are not really effective for DOMS. Further, preventing inflammation with NSAIDs is self-defeating the purpose of the exercise because inflammation is the central process in which it makes our muscles grow and get stronger. Now, if you get to the point where the pain is super bad, you may need to see a physician. So... A few key things you may see is if the pain is completely unbearable, if your pain lasts longer than a week, you have swelling in your arms or legs, and your urine becomes really, really dark despite adequate hydration, which may be a sign of a term called rhabdomyolysis, which is very a, a very severe condition that needs immediate medical attention. So I'm going to kind of go through another. Um, this, this is off of painscience.com. Um, this is a... a Paul Ingram is a gentleman that took a deep dive into DOMS. Um, it's the biology and treatment of muscle fever, quote unquote, which is another word for DOMS. Uh, the deep muscle soreness it suggests, or the, I'm sorry, that surges 24 to 48 hours after an unfamiliar um, exercise. So he kind of goes through, so this is termed muscle fever, which is a distinctive muscle pain that nearly everyone experiences after intense or unfamiliar exercise. It's often called DOMS, as you said before. Um, the biology of it kind of remains unclear. We really don't know, um, and there's really no way to cure it, like I said before. Um, this kind of goes through different reasons of why, and I'm going to skip over a lot of this because a lot of things I've already kind of covered. Um, but, um, you know, a few days after significant discomfort and and is disconcerting weakness is roughly the worst case scenario. Um, for instance, climbing stairs might be unpleasant, but it's still manageable. The severity is roughly analogous to a bad sunburn or a headache. So most people can relate to what that feels like. Um, more severe DOMS than it is unlikely without obvious exertion. As with a sunburn, it is possible to overdo it without realizing it. But if the ex overexertion wasn't obvious, the DOMS should be mild. If you did it enough to know that you overdid it, but 
not too ridiculous degree, DOM should be moderate at its worst. And then again, so once you become more accustomed to the workout regimen you're doing, the, the DOMS will be get less and less if you, and you may not even experience it at all. But again, if you feel sick or you're in a super dark or brown, that is a medical emergency that you need to go to the hospital for. Um, so uh, DOMS, you know, is like a soreness, but it could be something else. So if you suffer some, some more of like a, a direct injury, um, this may feel like it's DOMS, but actually you may have strained a muscle or even, you know, cause a tendonitis to flare up or something like that. Biological vulnerability. So this can basically spike from transient causes like an infection or loss of sleep. Um, it can also be or can also be long-term and serious. For instance, there's a condition called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a connective tissue disorder. It makes people that are, they get sore very, very easily. Um, so this could, you could also have some sort of underlying medical condition that is not even related to DOMS, even though you may be thinking that it is. Um, so like I said before, there's a few treatments, you know, you can do muscle uh, trigger point uh, massages. You can try, uh, you know, like some myofascial type releases um, and everything like that. So that is pretty much what I wanted to cover about DOMS. You know, I didn't cover every single little thing, but you know, there's a lot of things on the internet that you can see. Some of the other things that some people, you know, swear by is some sort of like ultrasound, um, like a therapeutic type ultrasound, which may or may not help. And again, warming up or doing some sort of light exercises or just mobility work, which we should all do more of anyway, because most of us don't do a good job. Um, increasing your supplements as far as protein intake, specifically glutamine and arginine, which are essential amino acids. Uh, stretching, you know, icing may or may not be helpful. Uh, there's some TENS units or the transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulators, like the little, put little patches on it, kind of can shock your muscles a little bit. Epsom salts baths, um, drinking extra water. Actually, tart cherry juice has been shown to be helpful to reduce soreness, which I've actually experimented with this myself. And like we said before, certain compressor, pr compression garments may be, may be a benefit. Um, so, you know, like I said, if you're concerned or worried, you know, make sure you go see your doctor and then always check with your physician before you start any type of new exercise regimen. And so I had just one little more, um, I call it the random rabbit hole place of the week. Uh, I was sitting, talking with one of my medical students the other day, and we brought up the idea of knocking on wood. And actually we were curious of where this came from. So I decided to do a little interwebs search and I uh, found some interesting information. It's quite a bit more than I had anticipated, actually. So this is from Wikipedia. Um, so, you know, traditionally you just touch, tap, or knock on wood um, in order to quote unquote, tempting fate um, after making a favorable prediction, you know, hopefully, you know, everything will go in your favor. So the origin is actually, there's a bunch of different traditions across the world. Uh, there's something in German folklore where that supernatural beings were thought to live in trees and could be invoked for protection. So they basically, the tradition derived from the pagans who thought that trees were the homes of fairies, spirits, and other mystical creatures. So if you go up and knock on or touch the wood, this is like a request for good luck from the spirits. Um, over in Bosnia, Croatia, and Serbia, they stated knocking on wood uh, is some, something positive or, inferred or affirmative about someone or something and not wanting to change that. Um, 
Brazil and Portugal is something that I actually done physically. So three knocks are required after giving an example of a bad thing eventually happening. You don't have to say anything. You just go up and knock on the wood three times and people will understand what that means. Um, in Egypt, it's said that when mentioning either good luck one has had in the past or hopes one for the future. Um, in the English folklore, uh, this is also referred to when people spoke of secrets. So people would actually go out into the isolated woods to talk privately and quote unquote knocked on the trees when they were talking to hide their communication from evil spirits who were unable to hear when they were knocked. Um, so there's more of these. These are just the main ones that kind of was interesting to me. Um, so anyway, that is my my random rabbit hole of the week. So again, thank you very much for listening. Um, again, I'm trying to keep these short around 20 to 22 minutes. That is the average commute for the average person across the United States based off my research. So I've gone a little bit long today. But anyway, thanks for listening. Again, if you have any questions or ideas for topics, please feel free to email me at the Morsey Movement, T-H-E-M-O-R-R-I-S-S-E-Y. M-O-V-E-M-E-N-T dot, uh, I'm sorry, at gmail.com. Um, and please feel free to post a review, tell your friends, share with whoever you think. If you completely hate this podcast, then that is your prerogative and just don't listen to it ever again. So anyway, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next week.